you turn with me in your Bible to Matthew 11. We're going to start there, and we're going to uh, skip around to a couple other portions of Scripture as well. But we're going to start there in Matthew 11. We come to, a, to the end of the series on, on uh, who we are as a church, our mission, and our vision statement. And it's printed there in your bulletin as well. People who are committed, following Jesus. We talked about that. Uh, what that means. We also talked about our vision, what we, who we want to be, a community where God's love changes lives. And I believe that, that this is the place that it can happen. And I also believe that this is not the only place or, or venue uh, as we then go to our own homes, then our places, our homes, and our lives also provide that opportunity where God's love can change lives. Uh, as God uses us and works through us. And then, of course, we went through the different core values, talked about the different ones. And if you haven't got one of these, I encourage you to grab one. It reminds you of the core values as well. And, uh, but we went through those, and we come up to the last one uh, about a righteous refuge. And we call it that because uh, we, we value providing a safe place that promotes hope, and healing for all. Uh, we value that. And it, these different core values may not be things that we have arrived to, but they're things that we are working on. We value it, so we are trying to work on these things. And I, I know that it's not perfect. We may not do it in a perfect way. We, we aren't perfect people, but we follow a perfect God, and he can make up for those things. But we do our part, and we allow them. We have God and the Holy Spirit do the rest. But we are committed to that righteous refuge, a place, again, where it is safe and promoting hope, promoting healing for all. That's what this place should be. And that's what, uh, what we should all be all about. In Matthew chapter 11, we also see this played out as well. Before that, though, the church played it out magnificently in Acts chapter 2. And at the end of that chapter, we see how they gathered together and they devoted themselves to the teaching and the fellowship and all those things. They came together and they did things together and they made sure that there was no need going on. If there was a need, it was they tried to meet it and they tried to take care of one another. It was a safe place, a place where Hope was, was, uh, was brought as well as a place of healing as well. And then, of course, not only did the church set that example, but Jesus sets that example as well. In Matthew 11, verse 28, start there, and we'll go to verse 30. It says, it says Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So in this portion of Scripture, we see how Jesus sets that example as well, too, of providing a safe place. He is that safe place. There's refreshment, as we see here in verse 28. The call is to come. It's an urgent and commanding call. It's not one like, well, if you want to, you can come on over here. It's like, no, no, come, get over here. It's a call for attention and action as well. 
The same word is used in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, when Jesus begins to gather his disciples, and he says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It is Jesus who is calling. So you have the call, come. You have the caller. It's Jesus who's doing the calling. And who does Jesus call in this portion of Scripture? Verse 28 says, All. All. That is everybody. It's all-inclusive. The call goes out to everyone. And he, he, he then identifies those who belong to the group of all, the heavy laden, the weary. And when you consider these two groups, it, can, it includes every human, every human. It includes those who believe and those who don't. So who are to come? All. And the all is made up of those laboring, weary, those weighed down and under the pressure of a heavy weight, the, the burdened those who are actively and passively under it. That means everybody. There's not one person who does not come under one of these two categories. It includes people who are aching, people who are hurting alone under financial pressure, physical burden, emotional stress, experiencing sorrow or grief, oppressed, repressed, depressed, disillusioned, troubled by guilt and sin, all people. Come. And unfortunately, there are many who either won't acknowledge they are laboring or burdened or don't want to give up their condition. It becomes kind of a focal part of their identity. Carry this burden all day long. It's horrible. You want me to take care of it? No, 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 no. That's okay. I got this. Oh, but this is so heavy and I can't. You hear, you walk around people like that sometimes. You go, boy, I wish they'd just take care of that thing or whatever. Quit complaining. Uh, there have been times when I sit at the dining room table and, and Brianna would bring her backpack out to do her homework. And she, had, she would say, you see how heavy this is? And I said, well, no. I said, hold that. And I said, okay. And I held it. It's like, wow, that's, that's pretty heavy. You think you want to leave some things home? No, no, no. I got to take everything. I got to take them. I got to do this. Okay. All right. Well, you don't have to, but I guess if you have to, all right. But she, she, would, she would have a backpack that weighed almost as much as she did, but uh, you, can, you couldn't convince her not to take it, not take all those things. She, she kind of loved her burden a little bit in that way. And, and it kind of went down with the boys as well, too. They had their burden in the backpack with all the school books going on, but they had to carry that and take, take hold of that. But some hide their pain and sorrow, while others run to everything, anything or anyone but Jesus. If you are feeling overwhelmed, Jesus is calling you. Come. If you are depressed, if you are hurt, if you are in pain, if you are troubled, if you are busy or self-contented, if you, if you feel guilty, if you are working in your own strength, if you are lonely or stressed, Jesus is calling you. Come, come. C.S. Lewis once said, God whispers to us in our pleasure. God shouts to us in our pain. Troubles are God's megaphone to wake us up. So is God shouting to you? <laughs> God shouting to you in your trouble, in your pain. Jesus says, come. And this is where refreshment comes. Jesus goes on to say in verse 28, I will give you rest. And this is a promise, which is a, it's personal and it's individual. I will give you rest. What an exchange. Your burden 
for his rest. The Greek word for rest is a verb there, and it means to refresh or reinvigorate or revitalize. And what Jesus gives us is beyond what we can imagine. He takes us and pours his spirit into us. We are giving, given living water. As Isaiah 55 verse 1 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Refreshment. Also, Jesus refreshes us so that we can pro- proceed to, to what comes next. And what comes up is, is all about relationship in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A relationship is involved there. We are called to be actively united to Jesus. In verse 29, it says, take. The Greek word is imperative, which means it is something we are called to do decisively. It is not a take it or leave it thing. Hey, you know, here's, here's a, an option. Here's a suggestion. No, Jesus says, take this. Take it. Do it. Take my yoke upon you. That's how we, we are united to Jesus. We enter into a relationship with Christ by taking his yoke on us. And this implement, the yoke, is meant of a union. It means union. The Greek word refers to the wooden object, of course, that is placed on an ox in order to use it in labor. Besides this, it is also a coupling device which, in which two oxen were joined together to work as a team. And it was frequently used for training a young ox to an older, experienced one. And this is the picture we have here, being trained with Jesus. The yoke itself is called his yoke. It belongs to Jesus. It is made by him. Now, traditionally, each yoke was made specifically for each individual ox. It was shaped to fit that animal. And Christ, the master carpenter, has tailor-made our yoke. Each one is truly made to measure and custom-built for us. The yoke is divine. It can be thought of as the Holy Spirit, and he is the one who unites us to Christ. He holds us in our daily walk. And the balance was important for the yoke as well, too. The Greek word for yoke also is used for balance. Just think we are united to Jesus in all that we do. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords, the Lord of glory, the creator of the universe. It is he who is shoulder to shoulder with you and me, yoked together. If you haven't taken up the yoke yet, today is the time. Today is the time for you to take up his yoke. We can be side to side and shoulder to shoulder with God. And this is what I call an intimate relationship, 24-7 yoked with God. And although we are called to do the work with him, he is the one who carries us. He is the one who's teaching us, bringing us through those difficult moments. Jesus praises us and blesses us for pulling the plow, but in reality, it is him doing most of the work. We need to trade, the, we need to trade religion for relationship. Too much, we might linger on that religion part. We need to transfer from there to relationship because that's what it's all about in this relationship we see here too with Jesus. 
The human condition needs relationships. Christ is unlike any other. Don't opt for a, for a one-size-fits-all religion or an off-the-rack religion or even your own self-designed kind of religion. Go to God who knows you and knows me better than, than we know ourselves. A relationship with Jesus is rich, it's rewarding, and nothing, nothing can compare to it. All others are cheap imitations. And for those who are united with him, you know that relationship, make sure you maintain the balance. Don't try to shoulder the load in your own strength. Look to the Spirit to keep you close to God, close to Christ, and rest in his power to perform his work and daily walk with him. We are united with Christ in that way. The second aspect to a relationship with Jesus is action. This comes across in verse 29 as well, where it says, and learn from me. Learn from me. The Greek word for learn here shares its root with the word disciple. So the learning we are called to do is not so much an intellectual head knowledge, but it is learning on the job. Don't sit and vegetate. Relationships have to be active. You need to be active in your relationships. And it's not a matter of contemplation, though there is a real time and place for that. Relationships are a matter of participation. You need to participate. You need to give in some way to the relationship. The New Testament is filled with the fact that faith is a living thing. It is life. Our whole being, body, soul, and spirit is to be engaged in it. A healthy relationship requires words, requires thoughts, requires deeds as well. And Jesus teaches us how to do it. We can walk the walk because we walk with him and learn directly from him. Make sure your relationship is direct, a one-on-one with Christ. As we live with him, we learn from him. And it, it is sad to think of those who are alone in this world. I mean, you've gone through difficult times or you're going through difficult times. You think, how can anybody else deal with this type of thing without God in their lives, without Jesus as their Savior? Even those who have crowds around them and they're preoccupied with a lot of different things, when they are left entirely to themselves, they realize there is a void that nothing in this world can fill. After all the Thanksgiving meals and gatherings and family, there's then time where you are alone. Those moments of family might have filled a little bit of uh, void. It doesn't completely fill it. All the world tells us to look out for me, myself, and I, right? But there's the flip side to that independence, doing it on your own. It's called loneliness. We don't have to walk alone. In Jesus, we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that's not super glue, that's God's glue. Be able to help us through those situations. And it doesn't end there. Jesus adds grace upon mercy and glory upon grace. And and we are first refreshed by Christ, then related to him. And thirdly, in verses 29 and 30, we are restored in him. The nature of our restoration comes in and through Jesus. Verse 29 continues, says, I am gentle and humble in heart, and and you will find rest for your souls. Our restoration comes from salvation in the person of Jesus Christ alone. 
salvation in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is gentle and humble. This is the nature of Christ, our Savior. He restores us by changing us, by making us like Him. And He is full of compassion, full of mercy, full of humility and love. Verse 29, Jesus is gentle, says there. Only a true lover knows gentleness. It is only the strong who can be truly gentle, for gentleness is a conscious act. Gentleness has thought for the other. The word in the Greek can be translated meek. Meekness is a grace, and Jesus is the living manifestation of grace and love. Jesus is also humble. In verse 29, his humility is such a part of him that he says that he is humble in heart. This is the only reference that Jesus makes to his heart. Did you realize that? It was as a result of his ability to be humble and come to earth to serve and save that we are able to be restored to God. Christ was humiliated for our salvation. His humble heart was a suffering heart, and his suffering heart is a saving heart. There's also rest for the heart and soul. In verse 29, you will find rest. There's a well-known saying that says, association breeds assimilation. Being with Jesus should make us more like him. But it's better to say, regeneration breeds redemption. Jesus gives us a new heart, and so our souls are truly restored. As a result of this, we have rest. The Greek word in verse 29 is not the same as the one in verse 28. Here it is a noun. It is something that relates to our eternal state. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can stand before God acceptable and through Jesus Christ. Relationship with Jesus is the key to restoration, and Jesus calls us to this. This frees us from guilt and the heaviest weight called sin. Jesus stands in contrast to the Pharisees and lawyers who placed the yoke and burden of the law on the people. They were proud. They were arrogant. Whereas Jesus is gentle and humble. This reminds us of those who he calls. Whoever you are and whatever your situation or condition, look who is calling you. And then in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here is the power of God. When Jesus gives us liberty in the truest sense, here is what seems to be a pair of paradoxes. Yoke equals easy, and burden equals light. That doesn't make sense. How can that happen? The Greek word for easy is krestos. It is is so close to the word Christ, which is Christos, with only one letter different. And this is what comes with Jesus' yoke. It is easy. His burden is light. This is the nature of restoration. And in a relationship with Jesus, we can find joy and union to him and liberty and laboring with him. And the secret to the puzzle is in the work, in, in, the, work, in the word my. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's his yoke, his burden to live and labor in and with Jesus makes life meaningful and, and, and labor joyful. So Jesus offered a safe place to hurting people. And we see that here in Matthew 11. But how does that play out in the church today? 
What does that look like for us here today at Happy Valley? How do we follow his lead to create a church that offers a safe place for hope and healing, being able to allow people to come and experience what Jesus talks about, about his yoke and his burden, coming for rest? We find that example in John chapter 8. You can turn with me to there in the Gospel of John chapter 8, starting with verse 3. And as you turn there, let me share another story about a dog, and I want to redeem myself, and I see Colleen's not here already. She left, and Brianna's gone, so I guess I'm not redeeming myself too much. And I don't know about you know, my relationship with, with pets and animals or whatever, but sometimes they get a little skewed. Um, we had a nice little mutt dog, about medium-sized dog, when I was growing up. And uh, uh, her, her name was Chi-Chi. <laughs> Chi-Chi. Uh, we didn't name her. She came with that name when we got her from the pound. And uh, Colleen, I don't know if you want to continue walking in here, but I'm talking about a dog dog story here. So just, okay, you're good. All right. Anyway, uh, so we lived in a house uh, in Milwaukee there, and uh, we had fun on Fourth of Julys and New Year's and stuff like that. Well, when we got this dog, Chi-Chi, we didn't realize some things. Now, on the Fourth of July, we would go, and, and uh, my stepfather would take us up on top of the roof, to be able to watch all the different fireworks that are going on. And we could see that from where we were at because it's kind of up on a hill. And as we were watching, he then also would pull out some firecrackers of his own. And he would say, huh, like this, and throw it over the side. I was like, what? Yeah, like this, throw it over the side. Okay. So I, was lit and I threw it over and I went, pop. Oh, that's cool. And we started doing that and we were doing those fun things and all that was happening. And then looked at the chimney and said, watch this. He lit a firecracker and dropped it down the chimney and went, Boom! It sounded really cool. And we were having a lot of fun. Then my mom comes running out of the house and she starts yelling, Stop that! Knock that off! The dog is having a heart attack! Went, oh no! <laughs> so we came on downstairs and sure enough, the dog was just kind of shaking like this. And we had to calm the poor thing down. It was awful. Awful. We, we realized, we discovered that we needed to create a safe place for Chi-Chi during 4th of July's and for uh, New Year's Eve or any other time there are loud noises going off. But Jesus offered a, a safe place for people. When people were in pain, they came to him. When people were, were hurting, they came to him. When people were discouraged, they came to him. When people were hopeless, they came to him. He offered a safe place to people. And Jesus wants us as a church here at Happy Valley to offer people a safe place too. There are people who are looking for a safe place and wonder even if the church can provide it. I remember a, a, an older gentleman who walked into our church sanctuary one time. I believe we were either practicing here on a Sunday or something like that. But he came in and he just sat down right back kind of where Neil was. Israel. And he sat there and he just hunched over and he was just he was just pouring out his heart. He was didn't look very clean, you know, and, and all and, and I went up to him and, and I can I help you? Are you all right? And he's just through sobbing and crying, telling me about his wife who, who was not doing well, and he himself was struggling. He knows Christ, but he's just struggling. And uh, so as I sat with him to pray with him, he smelled of smoke. He, he wasn't very clean, but still he was a child of God. And he came in here to find a safe place. He saw the church and he thought, I can come in here. I think, I think I can find some hope here. And then from there on, 
not only did he come that one time, he came back, he, I think he came to our services a couple times, but he also came to the church office a number of times. Knock on the door, come on in. He would tell me about the day and things are going on, uh, if there were some difficulties happening in his life. He was also to tell me about some victories that would happen, but we'd also always end in prayer with him, and he'd be on his way. It's just like he was checking in, letting me know what's going on, how I might be able to pray. He found this place to be a place of hope, found it to be able to be a safe place. And some you know, people are looking, people are looking for that safe place. Jesus offered a safe place to which hurting people could turn to. Even so, he wants churches to be a safe place to which people can turn. In John chapter 8, we find a story where Jesus offered a safe place as well, starting with, with verse 3. So the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down, wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. From now on, sin no more. What did Jesus do that provided this safe place? He displayed two attitudes here that provided a safe place. I want our church to be a safe place as well that promotes hope and promotes healing for all. And I believe we can follow this example and be that place that God wants us to be. The first attitude Jesus displayed was compassion. Compassion. Notice verse 11, Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. God never intended that faith be used as a sledgehammer. Never. Now, we can stand up for God's promises, God's principles, but he never intended for our faith to be used as a sledgehammer. Now, we, we joke about taking our Bible and thumping people with it and making sure they know Christ. But really, don't. Don't. Stand up for God's word, yes. Stand on his principles, but don't go through the shop like a, a bull in a china shop. Jesus said in verse, uh, John chapter 12, verse 47, I did, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And then also, too, the verse after the probably most quoted verse of all, John 3.16, look at John 3.17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Have you ever forgotten to record some checks you, you wrote on your checking account? <laughs> you ever forget to do that? I mean, most of you probably do online banking, so you don't have to balance your checkbook anymore. But back in the day, the bank sends you an overdraft notice once that happens. When you have an overdraft, you are already embarrassed in that you made a mistake. And then the bank adds to your grief by penalizing you for your mistake. That is the way, that is the way life treats you. First you make the mistake, and then you get penalized for it. 
All of us have feelings of self-condemnation already. This woman in John chapter 8 did not need a moral policeman to point out the error of her ways. It was obvious. She did not need salt rubbed into the wound. Conviction is not the work of man, but the work of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we get in the way of that. We need to step aside and allow the Holy Spirit to work using us. The Pharisees used this woman as a pawn, and they wanted to catch Jesus in a wrong, uh, in a, in a wrong decision here and condemn him. They condemned her, and then they judged her, and they were hypocritical even by their own standards. And also notice, and some of you have, notice there was nothing mentioned about a man. It takes two to commit adultery. But they only pointed at the, at the woman. She was lonely, left out, no one, no one with her. She was hurting. And Jesus looked at her with compassion. There are so many entertainers in our world. Movie stars that seem to have everything. Sometimes you kind of wish, well, I could, wish I could suffer like that a little bit. They have everything they need sometimes, it seems like. But someone has said that they're actually prisoners to their own public. I mean, you get that famous. You can't even go out in the open without people coming at you. You can't even go to the store without people mobbing you paparazzis and people trying to take pictures of you and all that, they're there and they, they don't leave you alone. You can be a prisoner and never go behind bars. You can be a prisoner and possess a million dollars. Let me point out a couple of things about compassion. First, compassion should be unconditional. If we're to give compassion, it should be unconditional. Compassion should not be conditioned upon our agreeing with the person's actions. Compassion should be unconditional. Compassion should not be conditioned upon them meeting our approval. And compassion should not be conditioned upon them living up to a certain standard. Compassion needs to be unconditional. Years ago, there was an interesting story from one of the devotionals in Our Daily Bread. The story occurred at the church where Samuel Colgate attended. And Samuel Colgate is the son of William Colgate, who established the company that produces Colgate Toothpaste. During an evangelistic campaign, a prostitute came forward and accepted Christ. The lady was broken and showed signs of open repentance. The lady felt such guilt she indicated she would gladly sit in the back corner of the church. When the pastor presented this lady for membership, one member suggested that they delay her request. Obviously, some members were struggling with acceptance of the woman. When that happened... Samuel Colgate stood up and said with an undertone of sarcasm, he said, well, I guess we blundered when we prayed that the Lord would save sinners. We forgot to specify what kind. We'd better ask him to forgive us for this oversight. The Holy Spirit has touched this woman and made her truly repentant, but apparently the Lord doesn't understand she isn't the type we want him to rescue. Many in the audience then blushed and with shame and and needless to say, the lady was warmly welcomed. Second, compassion, not only unconditional, but compassion should see the potential in the other person. That's what compassion should do. See the potential in the other person. 
a Reader's Digest uh, printed a story about a, a dog named Winston, and I think this is my redeeming story about uh, dogs. Okay? Winston was a drug enforcement dog. During his six-year career, he helped confiscate over 52 million worth of cocaine, heroin, and marijuana. He also sniffed out $14 million in drug-tainted money. Along the way, Winston won 12 official commendations. He did not start out that way. As a puppy, he tore apart his first owner's house and garden, and after two months was returned to the breeders. In his second home, he smashed vases, chewed shoes and rugs, and dug up flower beds. His third and his fourth owners were field dog trainers who planned to knock out his bad traits. In frustration, they returned him to the kennel as well. Finally, drug enforcement realized Winston's potential. There are people like Winston's. There are Winston's around us. We look at and we can look at on the surface and go, that'll never amount to anything. What are they thinking? But compassion comes alongside unconditionally, as well as seeing the potential in that person. Just look around you guys here. You get some young adults here that were once kids here at the church. And when you looked at them, you're thinking, Wow, I don't know about that one. <laughs> Now, I'm not sure. I'm not going to point out who it was. I'll just let you guess. Maybe there were, maybe there weren't. But as you look at them now, you go, wow, wow. I mean, there's a, there's a little snot-nosed boy, snot, snot boy named Nathan Kokendorfer that lived here, right? Some of you remember him. He got in trouble a number of times. He's the pastor at Tremont Evangelical Church. A wonderful pastor compassionate pastor, the potential in others. we got to see that when we're given compassion. Compassion can see the potential in other people around us. And Jesus displayed a second attitude that provided a safe place for this woman. He extended an encouraging challenge. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Jesus gives second chances. In our text, it is obvious Jesus believed she could change. He said, go and sin no more. He believes she could change her life. You see it in sports. Those of you who are watching football and all that this year, when an athlete messes up, they get a second chance to redeem themselves, most often. And a football player for one team drops a pass when he is wide open in the end zone. A few minutes later, the coach calls the player's number again. The second time, the player then scores a touchdown, able to redeem himself again. Now, that, that's how God treats us. He throws us a pass. Sometimes we drop the pass. However, however, he calls our number again. That is the kind of challenge we need, an encouraging challenge, knowing that things will change. I believe in you. You can do this. Jesus gives second chances, but he also challenges us to take responsibility for our actions. Jesus does not condone inappropriate behavior. He challenges us to make a change. He challenges us to be responsible. When I was a teenager, I had acne really bad. Horrible. I had to get on medication that, that was, was incredible. Now, I wanted to get rid of the acne, though. I wanted to take care of it. 
It was really bad. My mother wanted me to get rid of, it, of the acne as well, too. But uh, she could not solve my problem for me. I had to take responsibility for it. She would buy the medicines, the medication for me, but ultimately I had to take responsibility and use the medication. Notice what Jesus tells this woman. He says, go and sin no more. She had a responsibility. If you have an anger problem, you have to take responsibility. If you have an alcohol problem, you've got to take responsibility. If you've got pornography problem, you have to take responsibility. God will forgive you for your sin, for any sin. He does that. God will treat you with grace. God will help you. But you must take responsibility and admit your problem. Come before God. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's an attitude that you shouldn't have. You must take responsibility and admit your problem. Admit your need for a Savior to take care of that problem. The adulterous woman turned to Jesus for a safe place. There are people here today looking for a safe place all around us. Philip Yancey, he wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace. He tells of a story he heard from a friend who works with a down and out in Chicago. He said, a prostitute came to me in wretched wretched straits, homeless, sick, unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me she had been renting out her daughter, a two-year-old daughter. No, excuse me, two years, two years. (laughs) Two-year-old, actually, two-year-old daughter. Yeah, I thought I read that wrong. I read it right. She made more renting out her daughter for an hour than she could earn on her own in a night. She had to do it, she said, to support her own drug habit. Could hardly bear hearing her sordid story. I had no idea what to say to this woman. And at last, I asked if she had ever thought of going to a church for help. I will never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church? She cried. Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They just make me feel worse. And Philip Yancey says, What struck me about my friend's story is that women, much like the prostitute, fled toward Jesus, not away from him. The worse a person felt about herself, the more likely she saw Jesus as a refuge. Has the church lost that gift? Evidently, the down and out who flocked to Jesus when he lived on earth no longer feel welcome among his followers. May that perception never be here at Happy Valley. May we be welcoming to anyone who comes to let them see that this is a safe place to promote hope and to promote healing. We have a Savior who can do that. We need to show that to people. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. They're going to lead us in a few songs here. That perception of church can change with us here at Happy Valley. Where people think, no, I don't want to go there. They're just going to condemn me. I don't need to hear that. What they need to hear is the good news about Jesus. They need to hear that there's hope. They need to hear that there's healing that can happen. But what does it look like here at Happy Valley to provide a safe place that promotes hope and healing? Well, just think about it. 
be unconditionally compassionate that sees the potential in others. That's the hope we can offer. You know, walk around in their shoes for a bit. Realize what they're going through. Feel what they're feeling before we pass judgment, which we should never do. <laughs> Come alongside them. Walk with them a bit. Know what they're going through. It's so easy, so easy to pass judgment on those we aren't the same with. They're, they're different than us. But we can provide hope here by unconditionally providing that compassion that sees the potential in others. We can also, too, give those second chances. Giving second chances and encouraging people to take responsibility for their actions. It, it's, it's kind of a, 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 a coin, two-sided coin. You provide the grace, you, you, you're there, but you also help them take that responsibility. It's a, it's a tough love that goes on. But it's healing. That's where healing comes from. Giving that second chance and encouraging the people to take responsibility for their actions. So I ask you, do you need a safe place? Welcome to Happy Valley. This needs to be a safe place for people. Do you need God to help you with your perspective about all this? <laughs> Welcome to Jesus. <laughs> and you can come and get a fresh view of perspective on this. This place needs to be a safe place, providing that which promotes hope and promotes healing for all. Are you ready to do that? Ask God to help you in all this. And the altar is open if you want to come and pray.